I am deeply, profoundly grieved, as I know every single one of us are, and appalled by what happened to fellow Houstonian George Floyd in Minneapolis. We have been deeply, deeply wounded by that. I'm going to ask, as I did last week, I had no idea last Sunday when I asked us to fast Tuesday and Wednesday what was going to come down just this past Monday. But I didn't ask you to fast on Monday simply because of the holiday observance. But I'm going to ask us to fast and pray as a church family again this Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'm asking us to fast and pray for true reconciliation of races in this nation. Amen. I don't want to see the ugliness of this go on any longer. I don't. And I also want us to fast and pray that, and we have marvelous law enforcement officers who are truly committed to God and, and serve their fellow men who are members of this church. But it would seem to me that these law enforcement agencies ought to do a better job of vetting law enforcement officers that have had charges of brutality brought against them so many times and they get off and it results in something like what happened here I'm, 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 we need God to heal the ugliness of the sins of racism brutality and murder that have plagued our nation we need God to heal that and I want, I want you to know something too that will only happen when we have an encounter with the beauty of the resurrected Christ if you're looking for politicians to fix it, they've tried. The, my whole lifetime, they've tried. You can't leave God out of this equation. Amen. At the same time, I want to thank God for Inspire Church and the values that we embrace here. Amen. People might wonder what we believe about things like what happened in Minneapolis. But if you look around this building today, you will see what we believe. Look at our pastoral staff, our board. In fact, every level of leadership in this church is comprised of the ethnicities that you see in the pews or in the seats right now. Inspire Church reflects our conviction that every human being is made in the image of God Almighty and has value and is to be loved. Amen. And every time we gather together here representing the different ethnicities from so many different nationalities because we have over 40 nations in our membership, we are making a statement about what we believe. And we make that statement, I want you to hear me, we make that statement 52 weeks out of the year, 365 and a quarter days out of the year, we are making a statement. Every time you come to this building, and you vote with your feet to be here. You're telling the rest of the community what you believe. And we are modeling in this church what needs to be out there in the community. If they want to see what reconciliation looks like, they need to come to the house of God. Amen. Amen. And so every time you tell somebody that you worship an inspired church, you're telling them the values that you represent. And so I don't just talk about things when there's an incident. 
That's what some people do. They wait till there's an incident and then they get all upset and disturbed and want to know what we can do and so forth. We're doing something and have been for the last 33 years by deliberate intentional design. We want to create as closely on earth as we can what we see in heaven. Where John looked up and said, I saw a multitude that no man could number of every tribe, kindred, and tongue. Every ethnicity represented there, and they were worshiping. And if you want to know what real power is like as a result of worship, you want to know what true worship is like. You want to know what worship that reflects the values of the kingdom of God looks like. Look into what John described in the book of Revelation. We're trying to bring that here. Amen. And when that happens, I want you to know God is pleased with the efforts that we make in that direction. If the rest of the nation were to model what we're trying to model here, do you understand that there wouldn't be any injustices like racism? There wouldn't be any cruelty toward our fellow man. There wouldn't have been any incident like happened in Minneapolis. If, if people just were, would let God be God. And learn to stand on the principles of the Word of God Almighty. My heart is full. And I'm probably nowhere near making the kind of statement that's adequate to address a situation like this. Because I don't know that words can be found that, that are adequate to describe what needs to be done. Or the depth of our grief. But... That's my statement today. If you want to know what I believe, look around. Because we worked hard to create a place where everybody can call this home. Amen. And you're my church family, and I love you. You're my church family. You are. Every one of you are. You're my family. And I love you from the depths of my heart. And I want us to stand in this community united together and never let the ugliness of what's going on outside come here, but instead do everything we can to change what's out there. Amen. Can somebody give the Lord an applause right now? Can somebody give God some praise? He's God. He's God from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. His name deserves to be exalted. Amen. Well, it's probably not nearly enough, but I, I don't know how to express myself any more clearly than that. So if it failed to adequately demonstrate my concern over what has happened, my outrage, my grief, and the pain that I know many feel in this building today that have experienced racism, just Chalk it up to my inability to find the words to say what really needs to be said. I'm in a series based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And it reads, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I've entitled this series, Home Alone, Not... You're not home alone. Oh, and I look over and I see my 
very dear friend sitting here in the front with us. And it is so good to have you here. The founder of the Arrow Project and Mark Tennant has been an incredible friend to me throughout the years. I'm, I'm just so glad you're here. Now represents a great missions organization called East West. We'll hear more about that later as everything comes up to normal. But I just wanted you to know he's here today. So I'm in a series entitled Home Alone Not. I don't think anyone in this building would, would disagree that these are stressful times. Oh, are they ever? Rioting, buildings burned, all kind of things going on, people killed. These are stressful times. And then on top of that, COVID-19. 40 million Americans out of work. You might very well get the feeling that as a child of God, you're by yourself. But we are told in Scripture that will never be the case. You are the temple of the living God. If there's nobody else around you, I want you to know there's one that is with you who will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's God. The worst time of your life, never feel you're by yourself because you weren't. I also want to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. It said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear. And notice these next three words. When heat comes. Would you say that? When heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. I want to speak this morning from the, this subject, thriving when the heat is on. Thriving when the heat is on. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray that this Sunday morning in churches across America... That together believers will reach up to God and that we will touch heaven for the sins and the wounds of our nation. And that we will entreat you in such a way that you will hear as you promised Solomon when he prayed that prayer that in the dedication of the temple so long ago. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And that you will heal our land. I also pray today that you will open the word of God to our understanding, give us insight, and help us to be able to see the principles that it contains, that can, as it were, clear away the fog that exists right now and the uncertainty of tomorrow that people struggle with and give them hope. All of that comes from your word, and we ask for you to speak and allow it to happen now in Jesus name and everybody said amen. amen a lot of stress a lot of pressure you may not know it but a number of studies tell us that some pressure in life is actually necessary for us to do our best we usually don't like it we prefer there not be any stress or pressure but resistance actually helps you to achieve more Opposition causes you to reach deep within yourself and find resources 
that you won't discover or put to use when things are easy. Resistance actually helps you perform at a higher level of excellence. It challenges and motivates you to do more. Opposition can actually energize you. As the philosopher Thomas Carlyle famously said, no pressure, no diamonds. The trick is to find the optimal level of pressure, the sweet spot, as it were, that little range in which you can do your best, and that is because too much resistance and we don't excel. The right amount of pressure, we do better. Too little pressure, we don't excel then either. Psychologists Robert Yerkes and John Dodson found that when pressure exceeds the optimal point, it stops being helpful and literally has the opposite effect. Your performance begins to falter. It suffers. That's because when pressure is excessive, it becomes stress. And at that point, you can succumb to anxiety and unhappiness. Anyone here know anything about that? Amen. If the pressure you are under continues to be more than you can deal with, it can result in burnout. And then if it still goes on and is unabated, it can result in even emotional and physical collapse. Your mental health and your physical health can actually be affected in a way that is not good. And there are two kinds of pressure that we deal with in life. There's the external pressure and the internal pressure that we all have to cope with. External pressure comes from your circumstances, the people around you, the demands they place upon you and other factors that are not under your control. It's the deadline your boss sets. It's the problem you're having within your family, external pressure. But internal pressure is the kind you feel pushing from within when you push yourself to try to measure up, worrying about whether or not you can meet the expectations of others or whether or not you can live up to their demands. And this is the type of pressure that you feel that makes you have the sensation that you're standing on your tiptoes all the time. And nobody, nobody, nobody can do that for very long. Internal pressure is the result oftentimes of allowing external pressure to make its way into the inside of your heart and mind. Internal pressure can be caused by feelings of inadequacy. We don't know anything about that. Nobody here does, right? Amen. And that's when you don't feel you measure up and you live with stress that at times is debilitating. It can literally make life so miserable for you that some people opt to end their lives. That's not the answer or the solution, but that's what some people choose to do. Sometimes you can place yourself under pressure when the circumstances aren't even all that difficult or taxing. And you find out later that you thought they were putting pressure on you and that they're, they're surprised. No, that's not what we meant at all. And you discover that the pressure is the result of you misreading the gauges as it were in a relationship or a circumstance and the result is this that pressure makes you feel alone anybody know what I'm talking about you get under pressure you you wonder if anybody cares you wonder if there's anybody that even notices 
And that's why I'm talking about you're not home alone. I promise you, you aren't. When you feel these things, I guess you could say the heat is on, right? Heat is on. That's a phrase we're all familiar with because that's what we talk about when we're under pressure. It could be the pressure of a deadline, the stress of conflict in your marriage, financial pressure, a situation with your employment with 40 million Americans out of work. Trust me, the heat is on. Or it could mean the stress of any number of other things, the rioting, for example, uh, your business owner, this whole COVID-19 thing where businesses like restaurants, there are many of them that will not be able to survive. Churches are not going to be able to survive in some cases. And it could be the result of this COVID-19 that the stress is on. Or it could even be a bad diagnosis that you received from a doctor recently or a concern you have about something going on in your physical health. And when people are under stress, how many of you know they react in different ways and most of them are not good? You know what I'm talking about? Some people under stress get angry. They become so irritable and a situation occurs on the job and, and the pressure is on and the heat is on and, and they're boiling on the inside and they can't give the boss a piece of their mind. If they do, they know that they're going to have to find another job. And so they drive home and somebody cuts them off in traffic and angrily they press on their horn and, and, and show them their, their IQ with that little one digit sign. And you know what I'm talking about. And get home and the cat runs over to rub up against their leg and they kick the cat out of the way and they become angry. That's not the way to deal with stress. Your blood pressure goes up. For some people, it's fear and they become afraid and they panic and they live with their heart palpitating in their chest. Some people take it out on others. Some people be, just become moody. They go silent when the heat is on. They withdraw. They don't talk to anybody. They don't get out of the house. They go to the bedroom, turn off the lights, pull up the covers, listen to sad music. You know what I mean? And really, really, really wallow in pity for the situation and for themselves. You ever notice that you call a pity party, nobody ever shows up but you? Because truth of the matter is, People have their own stresses and problems, and the result is, once again, you feel alone, by yourself. The Bible tells us quite a lot about how people deal with stress. We see how different ones around us deal with it. During this epidemic, they claim drug abuse has skyrocketed, alcoholism, people watching porn, child abuse. Spousal abuse, all of this the result of stress. In the Bible, the principles that we're taught teach us that doing those things inevitably adds to the problem. So you lose your job and you decide it's stressful. So you go and stop at the local bar and you don't have too much to drink. And any is too much. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that and throw that in. Amen. And then you're driving home and you get pulled over. 
And now, in addition to losing your job, you've got a DUI on your record. And the stress just continues to mount. Well, none of the good people here, I'm, I'm sure, you know, have that to deal with, but that's pretty common among, you know, folk that go to other churches. <laughs> just thought I'd say that. In the Bible, we find what happened to the three Hebrews when the heat was on literally. Out of all of the many places in Scripture, and we could talk about them from different places in the Word of God because the Bible tells us their story. There perhaps is none that is more insightful than the story of the he three Hebrew children who had been carried away as boys. Daniel was a part of this group. And they were carried to Babylon after the siege and fall of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. When in Babylon they arrived, their names were changed from their Jewish names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel to the names of the gods that were in Babylon. They were given names that represented those gods. And right from the very start, the enemy was trying to steal their identity. Because you see, Jewish people believe that when you name that child, you should name him according to the vision that God has given you as to what his future will be like. And so the father would take that child and outside after it was born and hold it up before God. And he would say, Smai Israel, Adonai Elohanu, Adonai Ahud, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he would whisper that child's name into his ear. And that child would have destiny spoken over him. When these boys got to Jerusalem, their fathers had been killed. They were not on the scene. And now they're given into the hands of one of the king's servants. And he promptly changes their name in an effort on the part of the enemy to rob them of their identity. Don't ever let the enemy steal your unique identity that God has given to you. You came into this world for a purpose. I want you to know that you may not feel it right now, but God has plans for your future. Yes, he does. You're not home alone and forgotten. They finished growing up in Babylon where they were trained and tutored by King Nebuchadnezzar's royal teachers and they were promoted to be over the affairs of Babylon in the king's house and everything was going pretty well. They had a cushy job. Life was sweet. Even if they were in captivity in a foreign land, they had positions, they had titles, they had respect. They had encountered the test of their lives and surviving the ordeal of being brought from Jerusalem to Babylon. They were able to make it in a foreign climate and culture. Did you know then all of a sudden something happened and they encounter a test unlike any they've ever seen. And boy, if that's not the way life is, I don't know how to say it any better than that. All of a sudden you're doing well, the wind is at your back, and the next thing you know, you're in a force 10 hurricane. You know what I'm talking about? Life is sweet and going good. And the next day, the very next day, it's like the rug has been yanked out from underneath your feet. Because we live in a fallen and broken world. And suddenly, that's what happened to these three Hebrew children. And it all came about because of a guy's ego. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was not only king of the largest empire at the time, he had an ego to match. And he built an image of gold 90 feet tall and made everyone fall down and worship before it. In Daniel 3.1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So he not only was king, but he had a king-sized ego. And he demanded that as soon as the musical instruments started playing, that everybody, and I mean everybody, fall down and worship him, this image that was, as it were, a surrogate for King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they blew the trumpets. And all of a sudden, standing tall were three guys who refused to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't even hesitate. They just stood strong. And somebody went and told the king, said, King, you know those boys that you promoted that are in your house? They didn't fall down and he couldn't believe it. In Daniel 3, 15, he called him before them and he said, If you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, can you fall down and worship the image which I've made good? We'll let bygones be bygones. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And he thought surely they would bow down, but they didn't. They blew the horns and they kept standing straight. In fact, in Daniel 3, 16, 18, they answered and said to him, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand. But if not, turn to your neighbor and say, but if not, would you do that? What are you going to do when things don't go the way you hoped they would? But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And that's when they found out that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't just have an ego problem, he had an anger management problem. Because in verse 19 it said, he was full of fury and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. And everybody talks about the heat in the furnace. But let me tell you about life. The real heat came before the furnace. And it always does. And that's the pressure to conform and fit in. Can I hear somebody in the house say amen? Turns out later the furnace was a piece of cake. And that's usually the way it is. The thing you fear that the enemy taught you about. That's going to happen to you if you don't honor God. That usually turns out to be a piece of cake. It's the pressure you feel to make the right decision that is really the problem you have to contend with. And so they throw them into the fiery furnace and it kills all the, the soldiers. But this story teaches us several things. 
I want to point them out to you. Number one, the world still builds idols that it expects us to worship. Today, the world still creates larger-than-life idols that it wants us to bow down to. Movie actors, musicians, sports figures, social media icons. Hello, somebody. Today, people worship success, wealth, pleasure, sex, money, fame. And like Nebuchadnezzar, people are constantly trying to build their own image too so that you will look up to them and worship them. They even hire image consultants. Yeah. Amen. We all want people to look up to us. And it's like we're not content until we find out who really is in charge. There's a need in people to worship something and somebody. And if you're not going to worship your pocketbook or your success or your fame, you're going to be left empty. And so people search for something to worship. They'll worship sports. And the truth of the matter is none of that satisfies. Until you worship him, you don't know what you were really created to do while you're here. Can somebody give God a praise break right now? Amen. Point number two. The three Hebrews got into trouble because they decided to obey God rather than fit in. Amen. They were in this dilemma because they chose to obey the greatest of the Ten Commandments. And that is do not bow down and worship any other God because there's only one God. People say, well, I don't have that problem. I don't worship idols. <laughs> I don't know who you're preaching to today, Pastor, but that, that, that's not my issue. I don't have any idols in my life. Amen. But is that really true? Let me ask you a question. What do you think about most? What do you spend most of your time doing? Where's God on your agenda in the course of the day's events? Ooh, really getting quiet here. I have to ask, is this microphone working right now? Amen. Because we can tell by the things that we dedicate our time to what really matters to us. Point number three, if you don't worship what the world worships, they will hate you. Do you know who turned the three Hebrew children in? It was their own co-workers. They ratted them out. The guys who worked with them in the office. And that's exactly what happens when you don't fit into the culture and the society and go along with everything else that's happening. They look at you like you're the problem. Amen. They will hate you. And number four, now as then, there are three kinds of people in the world. There are those who are stuck up. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's all those people who go around. I got a 10,000 followers on. There are those who kiss up. <laughs> That's everybody with the exception of the three Hebrew children. Hey, King, we fell down in worship, but you know those three guys from Jerusalem? They didn't. And then there are those who stand up. Which one are you? Are you stuck up? Do you kiss up or do you stand up? I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Somebody ought to give God a praise break in the house. Amen. 
And point number five, when you face the fire, it pays to know the word of God. They were thrown into the fire. You are going to face fiery trials in the course of your life. You will. In fact, the Bible said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that you were in. Like, I'm a child of God. What's going on? The heat has been cranked up. It's kind of getting hot in here. God, I didn't know this was part of the deal. And so the scripture says, don't think it strange whenever you encounter a fiery trial. You need to know the word of God because what will get you through is this that I'm preaching from right here. And when the heat is on, it will help you survive. It will help you survive the loss of a job. It will help you survive stress in your marriage. It will help you survive a bad diagnosis. I know I've been there. The word of God can be depended on. Can somebody say hallelujah? Isaiah 43 verses 2 and 3. This is what the scripture says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when, not if, when you walk through the fire, say it, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I just need somebody to lift their hands and say, you are my God. Would you do that right now? I'm not alone. When I walk through the fire, you're with me. I'm not home alone. When I'm walking through a test, I'm not by myself. Amen. Amen. You see, there are three things that happen. And the reason the scripture says is that he will be with you when you walk through the fire is because of these three things. You see, sometimes God does save us from the crisis. He gives us the grace, amen, to avoid the problem. How many of you have ever been right on the heels of walking through a fiery furnace and then God gave you a detour right around? Sometimes that happens. But I have to tell you, not every time. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. He gives you not the grace to go around it, gives you the grace to walk right through it. And at other times, God saves us because of the crisis. That is, the crisis isn't even the real problem. But while we're in what we thought was the crisis, that's when we discover what the real problem actually was. It's like going to the doctor because you have a minor situation that is not life-threatening. And while you're there, he begins to say, hmm, hmm, and hmm. And when the doctor starts going, hmm, that's cause for concern. You start, uh-huh, would you translate that for me? Amen. You know what I'm talking about? And he discovers that you had a life-threatening situation that you did not even know existed and he's able to save your life and that situation would have never been discovered if it hadn't been for what you thought was the Christ. You say, Pastor, does that really happen? That's that guy right over there sitting on the front pew. 
because Pastor Irvin, who's like a ministry son to me, came to my office and he had gone through a situation with his back. And, and I kept telling him, Pastor, you got to get that taken care of. Irvin, you got to go see him. Ah, just, and, and like most of us, you, you don't want to go have surgery. It's not like, oh, this week I've got a number of wonderful, exciting things to do. I'm going to boil craw- crawfish and oh, good, I'm going to have surgery too. It usually doesn't work out like that. And one Sunday morning, I told him, you have got to go. I'm insisting because I, he, he was, his legs were numb. He couldn't hardly walk. I said, you don't want to be scooting around in one of these motorized scooters for the rest of your life. Go to see a doctor. And he did. And when they were doing pre-op, the preparation to get him into the hospital for surgery, they discovered he was anemic. Am I telling it like it is, Pastor? And they did, they had to do an emergency surgery and removed a tumor. And thank God his health is great now. But he woke up in recovery and Phyllis, his wife, told me. Amen. Phyllis, his wife, told me. She said, Pastor, the doctor told me that if he had not come in, that within two weeks it would have taken his life. Sometimes you go for one thing and discover there's actually something else going on. Now, hear what I'm talking about. And he said, that pastor, you need to thank him for insisting you come in. Look, sometimes God doesn't want to spare you the crisis because while you're in it, something else is going to be revealed. Oh, give God some praise in this house today. And I'm closing right now. I I took a little extra time, so I need to get through this quickly. Life application points about what God wants you to do when the heat is on. Remember this. This is in the notes. If If you go to the podcast, you can get this. Number one, if you will trust God, he will walk through the fire with you. You will not be by yourself. Oh, somebody give him some praise. Daniel 3, verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, wait a minute, did not we cast three men into the fire? Let's see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, I thought we cast three into the fire. And they said, true, O king. In verse 25, he said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are, oh God, this makes me so excited. They are not hurt. The fire is not harming them. Hallelujah to the lamb. And the form of the fourth, (laughs) that's like the son of God. You see, the three Hebrew children never saw the fourth person in the fire, according to Jewish rabbinical sources. They never saw him, but those outside the furnace saw him. And you might not feel like you're by, with God or that you have him accompanying you in the middle of the struggle. But everybody else that's standing back can see God is walking with you through the situation. You are not by yourself. Oh, somebody give him a praise break right now. Hallelujah. 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 Life application point number two, and I'm about done. Going through the fire will free you from what has you bound. 
They were thrown in bound. They couldn't move. But when they got in the fire, you know what the fire did? It released them from their bondage. The fire will set you free. It will open your mouth. It will make you talk. It will make you sing. It will make you witness. It will make you tell somebody about what God has done for you. Most people have certain bondages within their life that they struggle with as long as they live. I don't know what yours might be. For some, it's generational curses that go way, way, way back that they didn't even get to vote on. That's what's crazy about it. Maybe it was a decision made by great, 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 great grandparents. And the result was a door was opened in their family ancestral tree that allowed spirits to come in that became familiar and comfortable within the context of this family. Things like poverty. Things like alcoholism. And so generation after generation of the family has experienced the same thing. Poverty from one generation to another. Alcoholism maybe from one generation to another. Let me tell you what to break that. When God walks with you through the fire. Is there anybody that wants to be set free? Can I hear somebody in the building shout hallelujah? God number three will cause you to survive the heat. I love this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Servants of the most high God. Come out and come here. He didn't say, and whoever the fourth one is, you can come too. (laughs) You can stay there. (laughs) You see, God will cause you to survive it. And what you need to know in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis is God's committed to causing you to come through it. Give God some praise. You're going to make it. Your business is going to make it. Hello, somebody. Your marriage is going to make it. I don't care how intense the heat comes. I don't care how intense it may be. You just need to say, we're going to make it, baby. We're going to make it. Yeah, we are. We're coming through this. Amen. We're going to survive all of this. We're coming out of this next year. We're going to sit down and have a good laugh about it. And we're going to give God some praise together as a family because he brought us through what we were not supposed to survive. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that brings me to point four. God will receive glory by causing you to overcome what you shouldn't have on your own. There's no way you could have made it by yourself. Is there anybody in the house that can say never would have made it? Never could have made it? If it had not been for you on my side, I wouldn't be here right now. But because of God, I'm still here. I'm still standing. Can somebody in the house give God a praise? You say, but I haven't made it yet. Well, then by faith declare, I've made it. I'm already through it. I know it in my mind. I've come out of it. The flames may still be causing the the thermostat to blow up that's on the wall. But I I know I've made it. How do I know that? Because the word of God said, when I go through the fire, he will be with me and will not allow me to be scorched. And then King Nebuchadnezzar 
made a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut in pieces and their houses will be made a, a, an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And suddenly, the guy that was stuck up, who thought he was God, discovers he's just God, little g. But there's a God, big G, that's over everything. And he said, that's the one you're going to worship. And number five, God will literally use, this is a life application point, and my last one, God will use what was meant to destroy you, to promote you. And Daniel 3.30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I need somebody in this building to say, after this is over, I'm getting a promotion. Would you do that right now? Come on, say it by faith. After this is over. I, I, that's, that, you're not saying it like you believe it. I need somebody to say it like they believe it. After this is over, I'm getting a promotion. I'm getting a raise. I'm moving up. God's going to help me. God's going to bless me. God's got it under control. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me across the building? I learned in school many, many years ago that there are some seeds in the forest, did you know this, that only germinate after there's been a forest fire? One of them is the giant sequoia. These massive trees can grow to be over 3,000 years old and stand over 300 feet tall. In the early 1960s, the giant sequoia trees of Northern California had stopped producing new trees as they should. There had been forestation that occurred. They went in and cut a lot of the, the trees out, thinking that they would grow, but that didn't happen. And then in the early 1960s, Dr. Richard Hartsvelt discovered that the reason they weren't producing as they should was because they actually needed fire to release the seeds from the cones. That the cones of the giant sequoia are so tight, the sap kind of glues the, the parts of the pine cone together. And so they found out that their efforts to suppress the fire were actually working against the repopulation of the forest. They also discovered that not only does the fire cause the pine cone to open, where the seeds can drop. It burns away the thick carpet of needles so the seeds can actually get into the soil. And they thought, well, we don't want to see these trees destroyed. And they started studying the bark of the giant sequoia and discovered that it's got a natural chemical in it given to it by God that causes it to be fire resistant. Look at somebody and say, you're looking at someone that was built to survive the fire. Can I hear somebody in the house say hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.